0: As jy in hierdie potgooi luister, is jy deel van ons internetfamilie en baie welkom by nog een uitsending van Hamester Reformerende Gemeentes Olifans Rivier Vallei Bootskappe. Jan en Chantel Oosthuisend Spitselen daarop loofzakelijk toe om verhoudings te reformeer op grond van die woord van God. Dit behels een weie spektrum van verhoudings. Hulle bied ook verskye programme aan op Radio Nemakuland, as ook verskye kampusseminare en daggeleentiere tot die doel van verhouding reformatie. Volger is Jan en Chantel's persoonlijke blog of webjournaal of luister naar het radioprogram Dagbreek op Radio RadioNemarkoland 93.4 FM. Besoek ook www.hrco.co.za in en jan-en-chantel-oesthuizen.com Je luister naar Jan Oesthuizen met die boodskap van die week. tonight about the art of changing the negative into a positive, the art of changing the negative into a positive. So you will find this is on the notes uh, on the website. If you go to HRCO and you go to sermons, you will find there are some notes there. And basically, if you look at the life of Christ, um, he lived in spiritual terms, we would say the same Theme in a different way, and we would say the redeeming principle. The redeeming principle: Jesus is a redeemer, and a redeemer means that you you pay the cost to redeem someone. Someone has been guilty; that guilty as charged, and then someone comes and redeems them. They set them free. They pay the price to turn that negative into a positive. So, you know, Jesus, whenever he lived and walked on the earth, he uh, healed the sick. That was a redemption. He turned the negative of sickness into a positive. Reinhard Bonnke, when I grew up, um, there was this old black um, LP that you could buy, double LP, and in the middle is all the big crusades and all the thousands of people getting saved. And then if you put on the record, Reinhard Bonnke preached, your life that is a minus, God will make it a plus. And, uh, you know, so then he says, the bigger the negative, the big God the plus. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's really where, the, where this, uh, this whole thing came from. And so, but you know, in South Africa, the, the, the thing is, you, you need to, as Christians, part of a, a believer's way of life is even, you know, me having this accident, I have to believe that there is a positive and a negative. And, and it's really science. If you look at most basic of science and energy, it's protons and neutrons. And um, an atom bomb is when you fuse the positive and the negative and then you get light. And uh, there's a guy, who, um, John Demartini, wrote a book on the breakthrough experience and he uses the science in a therapeutic uh, setting by telling people that gone through serious trauma that if he could help them, to measure the equivalent positive equivalent to the negative the negative will cancel out so the basic premise is this, is a bit of psychology, is that if you hit your, your, your finger with a hammer, the blood is spurting, oh, this is a painful, and at that very same moment, someone rings the doorbell, and with the finger, you try to go to the doorbell and open the door, and there's a cameras and a camera crew, and they're just giving you 100,000 Rand. So what will happen is, in a few seconds, the equivalent positive <laughs> will cancel out the negative, and you will forget about your uh, your pain. So that's, that's basically the, the, let's say, the, the commercial science behind this, or the secular science. But there's a deep spiritual root that I want to get to at the end of the message, where I believe we need to position ourselves strategically uh, in times like this. And I'm going to get to that at the end. So... You know, if you look at James one verse two and one Peter one six, and obviously Romans five is the most familiar passages that speaks about rejoice when something bad happens to you. And you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a oxymoron. It's like <laughs> on earth can you rejoice when something bad happens to you? and I mean, if you read the book of Marilyn Carruthers, um, I think learning him learning praise or what's the English yeah. Afrikaans is leer om Personal praise, prison of praise present to praise. All right, there you go. So Marilyn Carruthers, uh, it's a life-changing book. I, I, how many read it? It's just one of those credible stories that you, and learning this this message, you know, to learn how to look at things differently. And, and I'm going to give you some um, overview, even what I've experienced in my travels this year, and I really believe that God has been speaking to our nation um, and pointing us to these positives. Now, first of all, there's a I want to just give you a few examples. You can go and read the book. It's a secular book, Malcolm Gladwell. I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. It's really all the books that he's ever written you can go and read. Um, His first book was uh, called Tipping Point and it had to do with what makes things in history tip over. Um, and companies, what makes them tip over and suddenly become big. Um, his second book, which is a brilliant book, is Blink. and speaks about the unconscious mind and how that works. Um, then there's a book, Outliers. It speaks about people that um, become you know, very famous or well-known in terms of gifts and so forth. Um, and then this new book actually an old book I've just now read. never read it is David and Goliath so if you get this David and Goliath you can really read it Um, and he begins with the biblical story of the odds that was against David when you know he was facing the giant now interestingly enough he says that when Goliath was saying to him you come to me with sticks and stones um, that is a reference that that uh, the giant Goliath had uh, eye problems because you know Slinger fell that was one stick but the fact that he saw sticks <laughs> meant that uh, there was most possibly wrong with this what's this clear he saw in the middle clear he saw um, and there was possibly swelling that happens with big giants. And obviously, you know, David saw that that's the target. That's the weak point that he was hitting for. Um, and then, you know, he said, come to me, because there was no way that Goliath, being seven foot, you know, and all this armor could go and run after David. So he was like, come to me. And, and so his his strength, meaning his weight, his size, all his armor was actually working against him. And was actually to David's advantage why David could take him out um, with a radical different strategy and and that's the whole book is how in the earth there are situations in various kinds of situations where people against the odds the underdogs won And, and I think how many of you felt lately like an underdog losing and it's like why me Lord and and I hopefully I want to give you a different perspective tonight now first of all One of the stories that Malcolm Glad will tell is the story of uh, Boyd, the famous um, lawyer. He won the case of America versus Microsoft. And uh, it was a very big um, case and, you know, to win that. And then secondly, the big case that he became well known for was the Al Gore versus um, Bush. Again, another big high profile case. And here's the story is Boyd is dyslexic, dyslexic dyslexic I was I'm translating out of icons. you know this eh? (laughs) and uh, so seriously dyslexic dyslexic is um, he couldn't read um, very slow reader he couldn't actually read until he was nine and um, so what he did was from a very young age he developed a memory to remember photogenically how do you say it photogenically memory, words. He could uh, remember facial expressions and nuances of tone and so forth. And so when he finally went to go and study law, um, he used obviously people to read books and to get into the data that he had to read. But when he was in court case, that was really when he was formidable because he would use this ability that he's learned like an underdog, like David had to learn a slingshot. He learned you know this different skill that you would say in the in the courts of law you need to be a reader you need to read huge volumes of work and yet he became well known using his dyslexia uh, uh, as an advantage and, and that's another good example another example that Malcolm talks about is the second world war and uh, we have some people here from England that can tell me if this is the truth but in 1941 uh, it became well known in the war that Uh, Germany is going to bomb London and they're going to do an air raid against London. It's been publicized. A lot of the scientists and psychologists and so forth began to prepare and they wrote reports about how devastating this is. Churchill himself wrote and says we're an open target. We have absolutely no defense. And so they prepared the people for the worst. They started to build underground bunkers. They created five... um, uh, hospitals um, for trauma counseling that when these bombs and all these people going to die, that they will have places to go. And everyone was painting a very gloomy and a very negative picture that this could actually be in the turn of the war. For 58 days, in eight months, in eight months there was a bombing of London, but at one time, 58 consecutive days there was bombing on London and I was just now in Coventry, uh, the well-known Coventry story of a cathedral and we were standing in a cathedral and that was one of the cathedrals that were bombed and they were trying to bomb Birmingham. It was actually the place where all the war, um, uh, you know, ammunitions were held and they were thinking it's Birmingham and they, uh, they got the, sort of the, target wrong and they, they shot Coventry that's just next to Birmingham and this big cathedral uh, burned down big big huge cathedral and one of the things that people did the morning um, at the ruins many, many thousands of people died one of the fathers went and he picked up the wooden cross a huge cross that was burned and he put it up and people started praying at the cross and then the Germany or the bishop priest came and he was still alive and they said they're going to forgive the Germans and this place is going to become a place of peace Therefore, even today, still, that church is a place of peacemaking. And um, Chantal and I have on our Facebook uh, page a beautiful um, sculpture that um, Lord Branson. Richard Branson made for this very uh, particular place, which is a couple hugging one another. They're on their knees and they're reconciling. Now, how many of you know that reconciling is peace? I mean, it's beautiful. If you had an argument with your wife, there's nothing like the makeup. So, you know, this is the the scenario. So, the strange thing happened, a huge negative. Huge, huge negative. What would you do? Here's a positive. That was what is intended to destroy England, actually revived England. Am I right? That bombing and that here gave the British people a resolve and a unified resolve like nothing else in the war. And three things happens in a war. First of all, you have the casualties that die. 40,000 people died. 46,000 casualties seriously injured. The second group of people, now that first people who died, they're not there, respectfully. You know, they... they they're not there. So um, they miss out on all this, this this pain and tragedy. The second group of people is the ones where the bomb clearly nearly missed them. They call it the nearly misses. Now the nearly misses is the inspiring story. It's the ones that were closest to bombs, that, to the near misses, they became revitalized. There's a story of where a young man was asked, he lost family members and they were asking him would you not travel back uh, into, the, into the rural areas and he, and he made this on the front, front uh, newspaper and he says, no on earth I cannot do this, this is the best time of my life. Um, I am alive. It's that whole thing about, you know, survival and when you survive. And although this tragic, the fact that you're a survivor, you get energy, you get life, you get rejuvenated. The people, the third group are the ones that were far from bombings. They missed it. And the strange thing happened is on, you see this on photographs of the war, is that kids would keep on playing. People will not even run away. They would go on with usual business and they, they get closed off, and had and, and we are there in South Africa at the moment. How I many of you, you know, just hearing bad news so much, you just get, doesn't, you know, you don't feel it that much anymore. So so again, this negative was turned into a positive. Another very interesting um, fact that comes from uh, David, uh, John Demartini, tells the story of a psychology where he ministered to this um, uh, prosecutor in America, he's in his middle ages, and he started to get fear attacks, anxiety attacks, just started crying, sweating, cold sweat, he didn't know what it was. And the psychologist realized that this guy, there's something in his past that has happened, it was traumatic, and is now surfacing in his mid-age. So he started counseling him, and finally, over many weeks, he disclosed that his mother was a prostitute, and she was a drug addict. And at the age before he was born, she tried to abort him three times. And by the time he was three, she tried to murder him five times. And at that time, when he was three years old, he got into adoption and uh, they took him away. He never saw his mother again. She committed suicide later. And, and this guy, if I have to say, and, and John writes about it, says, this guy has pure hatred for his mother. He, for He has such hatred. That at that point no one else knew that she existed. He never told anyone that he even had a mother. He never told anyone of what has happened in his past. So the psychologist kept on using this principle. There is an equivalent positive in your negative. You must just find it. And the man, you know, went cursing, he couldn't get to terms of what happened, and he just kept on helping him, helping him, saying, You yeah, will find it. And one day, this guy came in, his face all changed. he says I got it he says what is it he says you know what if I have to give you the reason and the sole reason for my success of life why I'm the most well known most feared prosecutor in America it's my resilience to survive I have a strange survival instinct that is much higher than anyone else I know. When I was growing up, all the friends would give up. I couldn't give up. I didn't even know how to give up. I had a strong sense that I could fight and I must fight for life. And that fight for life has become my providence and that's why I become so wealthy and famous. Thank you, Mother. Even in that negative, there was a positive. Last story comes from... John Gottman, uh, one of the most best books if you're into marriage, and when you want to stay married, the book's name is How to Succeed or Fail in Marriage. Uh, John Gottman and he's why I like his book he has a different angle he's a scientist so he looks at the science of marriage he looks at what he's done for about 30 years he put two couples uh, or two a couple into a little small booth the, the floor uh, is electric and they could move and sense movement they can uh, measure the sweat glands the heartbeat the, the where the eyes are moving in erratic movement, uh, all kinds of stuff they would do and then they bring the couple together for about fifteen minutes just to have them a you know conversation and then out of all these data he could with a ninety six percent average say or success rate say whether this couple will remain together or not and you can go and google this he wrote it's all famous over the internet he wrote uh, four horses of the apocalypse and basically saying if these four uh, horses or these things are happening in your marriage your marriage will end uh, the first one is contempt that is disgust don't want him close to you uh, contempt Criticism uh, Is another one Stonewalling You know Dig back Long Op steroids And uh, <laughs> Last one Is def- Defensiveness Defensiveness Um, so interesting so if those four uh, you know characteristics are there then your your marriage is in trouble but here's the interesting thing why I'm mentioning this point he made the comment uh, with a whole lot of scientists saying it can't be and he said marriages where there's a lot of arguments actually last longer did you know that from a scientific point of view he says those you know because we moralize you know (laughs) moments when we have some arguments we shouldn't argue because we're Christians you know but uh, interesting fact he says those who argue a lot it's proven statistically uh, their marriages hold and last longer and the reason being is because they talk they share what is inside and they argue about what is inside instead of, of holding it in okay Now, in terms of South Africa, I just want to give you a few things that that came to us over this year from our summit meetings we've had, engaging with farmers, engaging with people and believers all over, I want to just share. Now, what you're going to hear now, you maybe need to write down. Uh, First of all, I spoke to a prophet just last night and I asked her and I said, what does the Lord say to you about South Africa? And she was like, oh, that's quick. And I said, no, no, if you're a prophet, you'll know. And she said the following, she said, God is preparing for Himself a remnant of people, a warrior army, a bride warrior army, who's a bride and a warrior all over the earth. And Ben, I think we, we're beginning to see these warriors of God's remnant uh, becoming closer and they beginning to take hands and moving and working more closely together. Now, first of all, let me name a few things in South Africa. The first time I remember I heard uh, the hearings of expropriation without compensation. I was so upset. I went to one of those, um, sat in those meetings, and it was hugely negative for a lot of people. And uh, I remember waking up at night, I happened a couple of times, where I was having conversations in my head, in my dreams, with my lemma and with his team. And I was like trying to discuss with them and trying to find some logical, uh, you know, debate with them. And so one day the Lord woke me up and the Lord spoke to me about the hearings. And the Lord said to me, the hearings has been national counseling. Go think about it. What happens at counseling is you talk. You don't get answers when you go to a psychologist. You just pay to talk and someone listens. And if you think about it, for all over the country, thousands of people that never had a chance to express their feelings regarding a very emotional aspect, meaning land, could speak their mind. I think that's amazing. I don't think we always look at that in a positive light. The next one. I uh, recently spoke to some economists about all the stealing of money going on um, and you always just see the newspapers of just how much money has been has been stolen. Just last night I spoke to a, a, a guy very high up in, uh, in momentum and he said to me, Jan, I can't tell you, but on the highest level, uh, financiers... Um, and financial institutions are talking to government the money and most of the money is going to be paid back he says there's already uh, things in place for that but then he made an interesting statement he says um, just a couple of years ago I remember I wrote uh, or read a journal um, PhD report of a guy in America and he was saying that shareholding economics, this is maybe been subject to talk more and he knows this very well, is actually killing the American economy because what happens with shareholder economies is that the, the factories and all these factories work for the shareholders, but shareholders don't spend their money in the economy. They don't buy cars and houses and things. They keep it up in, in accounts and they, they invest it in different companies and so forth and that money is not working in the economy. And so the worker class who has to work for those shareholders don't get a share of that profit and we now have that disparity between the rich and the poor so in South Africa if you haven't noticed we have seen the rise of shopping malls in the last 10 years like never before now how do you think do you only think it's the I don't see the car industry <laughs> suffering uh, in South Africa. If you look at the clothing and brand and sunglasses and holiday homes, you know, if you look at, you know, the prices and of, of the markets of those things, there's, there's an economy of money flowing around. So, so, yes, a lot of money has been changing hands and it hasn't gone to the right hands, but there has been a flow in the economy. So there's a different angle for you on that one. Uh, Recently when we heard uh, all about what happened with us in farm safety and the death of of, uh, farmers and farm workers, um, it's always very very painful. But recently I spoke to a farmer and he said to me, Jan, uh, for the first time again in years our neighbors are becoming our neighbors. For too long we thought our Facebook friends are our friends. But when you're in trouble at night, when there's a fire, when there's uh, a crime, your neighbors, the ones that are living close proximity, is the ones that you need to care for. Now again, you begin to hear of street bribes once a year. You begin to hear how people are reaching out to their close neighbors again. Uh, again, a positive out of that negative. One last one is the populist groups in our country BLF and EFF and so forth has made a lot of us angry and uh, I think Ben can testify to this but what happened is like a and your vultures is they've awakened slowly but surely the missing silent majority they always talk about in voting panels if you read on the news and so forth whenever there's panels then there's a 60 Is it 60 percent uh, Ben missing or silent minorities, people in the middle that are already united. If you look at the IRR report recently, also talking that our country is not so racist, that is you know, pictured in, uh, in the newspapers and so forth, because this missing middle of shopping together, we're buying from one another, we're working from one another, and so being in a work relationship, um, we have to overcome racism, so it's not so bad. So the point I'm making is that this outside noise has actually forced this silent minority to start talking to one another and this is how new nation movement has started and many other bridge building movements have started. I remember two years ago we were holding and planning a big event and and at the forum of pastors we were asking what black pastor can we get in South Africa that would draw numbers that we can, can get? And we couldn't name one. We couldn't think of one. We didn't know one. Now, after a year and a half, I can give you 10 or 20 um, incredible men of God, women of God. Ben and I spoke about one, Tansi, Tandi uh, Zankili. Uh, she's the mother of our nation. Incredible. It was possibly the best speech I've ever heard on moral de D de- 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 Generation that I've ever heard. Um, Afrika Mashlopi, a young man with a strong voice, prophetic voice in our country, Um, also a bridge builder and reconciler, and many, many others. Tommy Matumela, um, I spent a a month ago in his house there in Amanzamtoti. What a man of God who wants to bring people together. And isn't that amazing? Uh, in the midst of the negative. All right. Now, I want you to take down notes now because I want to get practical. And I really believe this is important for what God has for us and how we need to prepare when bad things do happen to us. Now, first of all, you have to have a God-inspired strategy. You have to have a God-inspired strategy. You can read it through the Bible. Um, When Moses get to the Red Sea and he had to hit it with a stick, it was a God-inspired strategy. You get um, the one of uh, the worshippers where uh, the king sent his worshippers first. It was a God-given strategy. You have throughout the Bible is God-gives strategies. He gives things to do. Say, do. The reason I'm preaching this, you see, that when negative things happen, it's, it's human psychology that we fray, froze. We get so afraid we do nothing. Um, it's what happens to race car drivers. When they ride, drive and they're going to hit a wall, you will always see their heads as the car is it's looking for the road, keep their heads on where the road was, because if their eyes get stuck on the wall, they hit it. You just froze up. You know, how I many of you have seen when you are bicycle and you see a pole, you look at the pole, you're going to hit the pole? So, the point is that, you know, if you focus on the negative, you'll hit it. Come on, people. If you focus on the negative, you hit it. So, you have to purposefully, I'm, I'm serious, not just listen to tonight's sermon and say, oh, yeah, yeah, say amen. I'm talking, you're going to have to work it. It takes a whole lot of work to change and get a God-divine strategy. That means God is going to tell you to do something. Remember, uh, Angus Bachan was told to go and plant potatoes when no one was planting potatoes. Um, He was asked to do something that didn't make sense. And it's important that you also have a God-inspired strategy. Secondly, it's crucially important that you have to understand it takes work to exercise the weak muscles. Okay, I'm talking of exercise. Um, you know, if I want to lose weight so I can have a strategic God-given strategy that God tells me to do this and eat like this, well, then secondly, I'm going to have to get doing it. I have to habitually, daily train myself into doing it. Now, they say people will remember or forget what they see. They will remember what they've heard, but they will become what they exercise. Let me say that differently. People forget what they see. They remember what they've heard, but they become what they habitually do. Okay, so are you getting this? So you have to take that strategy and you're going to have to make work of it. That means uh, if God gives you a strategy that you need to wake up every morning and pray for an hour, or he's telling you that, I remember someone, you told me Ben, of a guy that the Lord said for two years, give me one day a month. And this guy went away and he prayed for one day a month and eventually a whole book came out of that and a whole movement because of his obedience to go sit with God one day a month and hear what God is. Telling you. So there's some things, hello people. You can't, we think by thinking over a problem is going to change. It takes work and deliberate intentional effort to change your strategy, get your strategy, and then implement um, and execute that strategy. uh, Thirdly, ignore and silence automatic negative emotions. Ignore and silence automatic negative emotions. Now, what I mean by that, it is pure science that when we're afraid, when negative things happen, we get into pity parties. It's automatic. You don't have to ask for it to come. <laughs> it sort of basically appears. I mean, uh, why me, Lord? And, and South Africa has been in a huge pity party, all of us, uh, where it's going to take hard work to get out of that. And you know the biggest thing that I that I struggle with personally, I have to be honest with you. If you ask me, what is the thing in people that I struggle with? It's, it's self-pity. I really have no patience for it. If you want to see my bad side, then throw a pity party. You will just not get anything. Uh, and I've tried to be nice about this. I've tried to get on my my pastor face. Uh, <laughs> It's just so hard because, you know, Jesus showed not pity. He showed compassion and compassion is action. Okay, so, you know, feeling sorry for yourself is not going to change something. And Hendrik, um, I heard preach a beautiful sermon this morning in Citrus Doll. And he was saying how many people put their emotions above their faith. And eventually they get into trouble because God is moved by faith. He's not moved by our emotions. God understands that we have emotions, but He's testing our. Faith, and that's why it's so important uh, that we work with this. We need to understand that feeling uh, terrible, feeling depress- uh, um, depression, to feel emotions of fear, it's normal that those emotions will automatically appear, but you will have to ignore Him and ignore them. Third, fourthly, um, I believe it's crucially, and I really mean this crucially important that you will have to pray for strategic partners. Strategic partners. It's important that in times of negativity, you surround yourself with the right people, with the right mindset, um, that can be working with you. Henry Ford, um, when he was starting up his Ford company, was the biggest... Uh, modif- uh, manufacturer of motor vehicles he started with a group what they call mastermind groups and he had 12 people together that he would call together once a week and they met and they would discuss problems they were outside of the field of where he's in and he would then discuss and find solutions together um, it's interesting with the first aircraft that um, aircraft investigation discovered where there was human error on the pilot's part um, he made a mistake and eventually made a crash and there was actually some of the stewardess who were alarming him and because at that time of the system was you never speak against the pilot the pilot is like god you know he's the one that's trained he has the credentials and the airplane is in his command and because of that they started what they call peer review you can write this down peer review and peer review is now a new uh, method in professional sciences where a doctor when you even go to a doctor and a specialist and you get a, a prognosis from him you can ask for a peer review A peer review means he has to take his um, prognosis and he has to check it with a similar equivalent peer doctor that can check whether he's on par and you will find this in the financial world uh, in the engineering world whenever there's very expensive decisions to be made is to do peer review it's very important that you will find your partners find the ones that are working with you how I many know we can't do this alone yep. we cannot do life alone we have to find the ones that God has given us as our partners. And last point is rigorous scrutiny. Rigorous, rigorous scrutiny. Um, self-checking if you want. But it's more important to have people helping you. Now, interesting enough, the famous Elon Musk, which just now made the most ugly bucket that ever existed on the planet and already 200,000 orders, um, pre-orders that he already got two years before it is even going to be made, um, just tell you about his brilliance. So he says the following. He says, I take special care of the scrutiny of those who I love or those who are for me, the ones that are my clients, He says, I ignore those who do not get me. And that's, I think, a good principle, isn't it? He says, there are people outside that doesn't really know who I am and what I'm about. Them I don't even listen to. But the ones in my family, the ones that are my clients, the ones that I'm working for, I make a point of listening and opening myself for correction. Basically, standing in, please correct me. Please tell me what's wrong with my car. Um, He said to be to make a vehicle that to this day they haven't marketed. No f- formal marketing of a Tesla on any television ever made because he said, if I make a car that is so extraordinarily different and so good, people will want to buy it and I don't have to market it. But to be that good, he had to open himself for scrutiny. So what I would suggest is that farmers, I've just been in spread, and I said to the, um, they into the, um, tourism industry and I said why don't you as five guest houses do a check into one another's house once a month go check up whether all the protocols in order because I mean you know you don't see your own mistakes anymore you don't see the doors broken anymore you just walk past it every day someone else comes and I say oh what about this and you open up yourself for that scrutiny say Amen." And in our church, the place to do that is home cells. We want to open ourselves and allow people, and actually ask people, would you correct me? You know, I can't see blind spots. I can't see when my face is dirty. I need people around me that I can trust that speaks into my life. Amen. Does that make sense? So I want to end tonight, and I do think this message is important by the end of the year. <laughs> Amen because we look at all these negative things and I remember Durkee told me this and when there was a drought um, I think a year or two ago Durkee told me that the farmers got together and one of the old farmers got up and he says have you guys read Numbers 21? No, no one read it he says there in Moses' time there was a seven year drought. So <laughs> So don't come and complain about a drought now. Droughts has been there. You know, sometimes we feel, oh, why me, Lord, this is such a difficult time. No, no, it's not so bad. Amen. Okay, I'm going to get one amen there. (laughs) We think it's always worse than it is. So important that we do get the strategy from God, that we work that strategy, that we don't allow negative thoughts to come in. Don't resist those negative thoughts. Um, get your strategic partners that are alongside you. And lastly, open yourself to those partners for scrutiny. Does that sound like a strategy? So I want to invite you next uh, weekend. This is a very crucial meeting for us. Uh, coming weekend, Friday night, uh, we're going to have a pre-event here from 7 to uh, 9. And then Saturday from 4 to 9, uh, 4 to 8. So not that late on a Saturday. And this is the strategic event for our church. And God has been speaking to me about certain things that has to change, certain things we have to do. And I invite every single member in our church, please be there. You, you have to be there. You, no one is a spectator. Everyone, and we, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of things that we want to talk about, align our vision about what God has told us to do. So let's pray. I see myself in the world